Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back, and uh, happy Easter once again from my basement to your house or wherever you're watching from. Uh, I'm excited to take the next couple of moments and share the word with you, and I really do think that what we're going to discuss today has the opportunity to bring a little bit of hope to your home. As I mentioned earlier, I know that this year looks completely different than any other Easter we've ever experienced before. It feels like every tradition we have has been thrown out the window. Uh, we've traded in our Easter best clothing for athleisure and pajamas. Uh, we've traded in our family gatherings for quarantine or house arrest or whatever we're calling this right now. Uh, and, you know, as a church, we've traded in what's historically the largest gathering every single year for empty church buildings and me in a basement talking to you over a camera. And it just feels like all of the traditions have been broken. But I want to suggest to you today that these broken traditions actually might be a little closer to the original Easter's origin. They might look a little closer to what the first Easter actually looked like. And so in the name of breaking traditions, I'm going to break a tradition today as well. Uh, instead of talking about the traditional Easter story, the one where, you know, the women show up to the tomb and they find it empty and the angels talk to them and one of them mistakes Jesus as a gardener, uh, we're going to deviate from that narrative and we're going to look at something that took place on Sunday evening, the day of Christ's resurrection. Something that I think really does align with the circumstances we find ourselves in today. Uh, the gospel writer John says it like this in John chapter 20, verse 19. He says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a number of peculiar things that are happening in this text right here. It starts out by saying that Jesus' disciples were hanging out in this room and they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. There's an atmosphere of fear. There's an atmosphere of concern. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of their fear, Jesus just kind of magically shows up on the scene. The doors were locked, but he didn't knock. He didn't open up the door. He just kind of appears in their midst. Apparently, post-resurrection, Jesus is all about teleportation now. He's just moving from one spot to the next. And so he pulls this move straight out of like Star Trek and he beams into this room filled with terrified disciples. And he makes this statement. The first thing that comes out of his mouth when his disciples see him is, peace be with you. Now, probably sounds like something very Jesus-like, like, of course, that's a, that's a messianic thing to say, you know, to say, peace be with you. But honestly, I think he probably needed to say that. I mean, these guys were terrified. Not only were they scared of the Jewish leaders, not only were they concerned about the fact that just a few days ago, the religious leaders had executed their commander-in-chief, their boss, the guy that had been leading them for the last three years, and they assumed if they're going to kill the boss, then it's only a matter of time before they come after the disciples. So they're, they're concerned that this could be the end of their lives if they don't hide away. But then all of a sudden, the guy that they watched die on a cross— the guy that many of them had maybe heard from other disciples or had heard from the Marys that he'd resurrected, but they weren't quite sure if they believed it yet. All of a sudden, Jesus is standing right there in their midst. 
This is a terrifying moment. They did not expect Jesus to walk in on their gathering that night. I remember um, when Robin and I were preparing to launch this church after we moved to San Francisco, um, I was doing a lot of traveling to other churches and preaching so that we could raise some money to, to, to start the church here. And I was gone a lot of weekends, hanging out with other churches, and my wife had told me a number of times that she didn't like it when I was gone. She was kind of afraid that, you know, there wasn't this big, strong husband around the house. I get it, you know, I understand. But uh, I would always make it a point to try to get home as quickly as I could when I was traveling. Well, there was a, a Sunday where I had spoken at this church and I was scheduled to fly back, fly back, fly back later on that night and I was gonna get on a plane and try to get home at about 1 a.m. the next morning. Um, but when I got to the airport a little bit early, I discovered that there was another flight available that would get me home at like 9.30 p.m. And so I had this great plan. I wasn't gonna tell my wife, I wasn't gonna tell the kids, I was just gonna show up unannounced and uh, the kids would be in bed, but you know, I'd been away from my wife for a couple of days, and so 9.30, the evening is still young. We can, you know, get back to business now that I'm coming back home. And so I get to the airport a little bit early, and uh, I, uh, I, I get an Uber and I head back home, and I tell the Uber driver, I'm like, hey, just, just park a couple houses down from mine. I'm gonna get out and kind of sneak up to my door. And so he drops me off and I'm very quietly making my way up to the house, but I see the uh, flickering lights of the television in the front window as I start to get close. And I'm like, ah, she's probably sitting on the couch. So I have to be careful and, and not make any noise so that she doesn't know I'm coming. So I tiptoe up the stairs and I quietly open up the gate. And you know, as I get closer, I realize, okay, she could probably see me from the door the second I walk up. So I gotta, I gotta do this fast, I gotta do this quick. And so I quietly slip the key into the lock and I turn it. And then I, I make this move to open up and be like, surprise. And you know, in my head, I saw like slow motion and music playing. And she's like, oh my God, you're home early to see me. Thank you for coming home. That's what I saw in my head. That is not what happened at all. I go to open the door and I forgot that we had one of those little chain locks on the door so that if someone tried to break in, the chain grabs the door and you only get a few inches of space so that no one can sneak through. So I go to open the door and it hits this chain and all of a sudden I can see my wife through this crack in the door and she just starts screaming, ah, what is going on? She's, she's freaking out. And, and it's dark outside, and so I'm trying to explain to her through this little crack that it's me. I'm like, hey, it's your husband, the one you love. I, I got a, a flight home early, you know, peace be with you. I'm trying to like calm her down from the other side of the door. And finally, she comes back and she unchains the door and she opens it up. And, you know, after explaining to me that I, I probably almost got myself killed or at least maimed with a baseball bat, I was able to calm her down and, and we had a great evening together. But she was definitely not expecting someone to show up. She already had a little bit of apprehension, a little bit of fear about being by herself and it was only amplified the second the guy she didn't expect to show up just showed up in the room. And in a way, that's kind of what's happening here in this text. That's kind of what we see with Jesus and his disciples. There's already an atmosphere of fear. There's an atmosphere of concern. And then Jesus just shows up on the scene, but in order to kind of set them at ease, the first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. Now, if that was the only thing Jesus said, we could just chalk it up to a casual greeting. It's not uncommon to hear that phrase in Jerusalem in their day, and honestly, even in our day. If you were to just walk the streets of the Holy Land and you saw a friend or a neighbor, it would not be uncommon for you to say, hey, peace be with you. It's 
kind of their version of what's up, how's it going, or you know, what it do, or what's cracking, or what it be, or hey, you know, or whatever your particular mode of greeting one another is. That's that's kind of what peace be with you is like in Jerusalem. And if Jesus had only said it once, we could say, ah, he's just saying hello. But the gospel writer John takes specific care to mention to us that Jesus doesn't make this statement one time, but in fact, he makes it twice. He says, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, peace be with you. And again, he said, peace be with you. Now, mentioning this statement twice takes it from a casual greeting to an incredible promise. Let me explain. Jesus was Jewish. I know that that might be surprising to some of you because the paintings you've seen make him look very Swedish. He's got blue eyes and blonde hair and curls and looks kind of like a surfer. But trust me, he, he was Jewish. He was 100% Hebrew, Hebrew national, just like the hot dogs. That, that was Jesus. And as a Hebrew, uh, he spoke Hebrew. Shocking, right? And so when Jesus walked into this setting with his disciples, although the New Testament was written in Greek, he was not speaking Greek to his disciples. He, he was speaking Hebrew. And the word that he utters to his disciples as he walks into this room to say, peace be with you, is, is a very common Hebrew phrase. It's the word shalom. Go ahead, try it out there at home. Shalom. Now you know a little bit of Hebrew. Now, for those of you who follow our, uh, our, our devotionals during the week, you remember we did a little bit of a teaching on this in Isaiah chapter 26, back in the middle of March when we first started this shelter in place. Uh, but for those of you who have not followed along, let me, let me uh, bring you up to speed a little bit. Shalom is an incredible word. Unlike the English word for peace, which carries with it the assumption of a lack of trouble, pleasant circumstances, kind of a good life experience. The Hebrew word is much more potent. It's, it's much more dense. It carries with it a far deeper meaning than just this surface peace that the English language speaks of. Uh, in Hebrew, the word shalom means wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity. Wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity. Think about that for a moment. Wholeness, there's, there's nothing that's broken. Completeness, there's nothing lacking. Prosperity, you have all that you need. You have perfect health. It, it's literally everything that we could ever want and everything that we could ever need in this life. Shalom. And the Hebrews understood that this shalom, this peace, it was absolutely unachievable, unattainable within our human existence. There's no way that the stars could align enough, that uh, the pleasant circumstances could exist in, in such mass that you would, you would find yourself experiencing this shalom kind of peace. And so they understood that the only way to access shalom was to know God. It was an only God kind of peace. And the only way to experience it was to be near to God. Now, Jesus, he walks in and he says, shalom, not once, but twice. In and of itself, it's a powerful word. But when you say it twice, it takes on this whole new definition, this whole new meaning. It doesn't just mean you get a double portion of all that great stuff I just mentioned a double portion of prosperity and blessing and health and completeness and soundness, all of that would be great. Even, even double would be better. 
But when you say it twice in Hebrew, it establishes a sense of permanence. It says that this is immovable. It is irrevocable. It is permanent. And so when Jesus walks into this room with his disciples who are in the middle of an atmosphere of fear, they don't know what happened to their leader. They don't know what's gonna happen to their life. They're like, did Jesus have a plan for all of this? What's going to happen tomorrow? We, we don't know. And in the atmosphere that they find themselves in, Jesus breaks in and he surprises all of his disciples and he says, shalom, shalom. I am giving to you a permanent, irrevocable, perfect peace that you will not be able to find anywhere else on this planet. It is my gift to you. What an incredible promise. This is a massive promise to a group of very frightened disciples. But like any promise, it's only as good as the one making it. Like I can promise you right now that I'll wire you $10 million at the end of this broadcast. And I'm a, I'm a good dude, at least I think so. I mean, I'm a pretty honest guy. I, I do my best to tell the truth. But realistically, if I offered to, to do that for you, if I, even if I, pro I promise you, I'll give you $10 million, it doesn't matter. I don't have $10 million to give to you. So that promise isn't worth anything because the source is bad. So if anyone else had walked into this room with the disciples and said, shalom, shalom, it would have been cute, but it wouldn't really have netted any results. But this was no ordinary man. Jesus was the God-man. He, he was God himself with human flesh. This was the creator of the universe, the one that was there at the beginning of time who spoke words and those words became realities that we see with our eyes today. This, this was God himself standing before people. And consequently, it was the very God that the Jews understood was the only one capable of dispensing shalom. And so here, God himself is standing before his people. And he says, I know that you understand that there is a kind of peace that's only available in me, but I'm standing before you and I'm not just offering it to you, I'm stating emphatically, this is permanent, it's irrevocable, this is your peace to cling to. Man, I don't know about you, but I could use that kind of peace in my life right now. I mean, here we are, a couple thousand years later and kind of similar Easter circumstances, if you will. We're locked behind closed doors. Many of us are, are frightened. We're scared about tomorrow. We don't know what it holds. We're fearful of a, of a virus that is incurable. We're fearful that our jobs may not exist when this all comes, comes back to normalcy and fearful that the retirement or the savings or the business that we built is, is gonna dissolve before our very eyes as this thing just continues to drag on. There's, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of unknowns. And maybe even as the disciples were asking, there's people asking, does Jesus have a plan for all of this? Does he even understand what's going on? Did he know this was going to happen? And yet in the midst of all of that, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just teleported into your room and said, hey, shalom, shalom, peace be with you. I'm promising you that you're gonna have an irrevocable, irrevocable permanent peace. It's gonna, it's gonna be steadfast in you. That would be really nice, but he hasn't walked into my house, at least not physically, and he's probably not walked into your house. And yet I, I think that this same peace, the shalom, shalom, that Jesus spoke over his disciples that day is available to every single one of us now in our day and age, right here in the Easter of 2020. 
Here's why. Even though the venue has changed, the vehicle whereby God gets peace to us is not. The venue's different, but the vehicle's the same. Let me explain. A couple chapters prior to this moment that we're studying today, Jesus begins to prophesy to his disciples about this moment. He begins to tell them that there's going to be a time where his life is going to be taken and he'll be resurrected. And he's going to give them a gift and he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be their advocate and their helper. And look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14, just a few chapters prior to this. He says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift. What's that gift? It's peace of mind and heart. Peace of mind and heart. Your soul is settled. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going to go away, but I'll come back again. And if you love me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen in John chapter 20, a couple chapters later, you will believe. I'm telling you now because this is going to happen. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the advocate, the parakletos, the one that's going to walk with you, the one that will be inside of you. And combined with the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive something that you could not receive anywhere else. Shalom. You're going to receive peace, peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace that I'm offering you through the Holy Spirit is unavailable anywhere else on this planet. Even if every circumstance in your life were aligned and it was exactly the way you wanted it, you would not be able to experience the level of peace that I'm making available to you in the Holy Spirit. Now, now let me tell you why that's really good news for you and I. Because we weren't there when Jesus was hanging out with his disciples a couple thousand years ago, when he teleported into a room and he said, peace be with you. And so we were not recipients of Jesus himself standing before us saying, peace be with you. But we do have access to the very same spirit that Jesus gave to his disciples on Sunday night of the resurrection. And that same spirit can indwell us. And that same spirit can provide to us the same peace that Jesus offered to his disciples, the irrevocable, permanent peace of mind, peace of heart that comes with completeness and soundness and blessing and health and everything else that we need in this life. We have access to that spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that when we confess Jesus as Lord and when we invite him into our lives, that we receive the same spirit that those disciples received that night, the same spirit that provided them peace, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives on the inside of us. And I don't need to tell you how much you need that spirit right now. I don't need to tell you how much you need that peace right now. We're in desperate need of shalom. And it can be found in the Holy Spirit. I mean, here we are, filming from a basement. Many of us unsure about tomorrow, don't know when church services are gonna happen again, don't know when our jobs are gonna open up again, don't know we can take Muni again, go to a restaurant again. We need this kind of peace. And I know that it might seem short-sighted and like a, a lack of empathy or awareness to even offer and suggest that that kind of peace is available to you today. To state that the, the Holy Spirit can invade the room where you're at right now, just as Jesus invaded the room with his disciples and offer you that kind of peace. I know that that seems impossible for so many right now. There's situations where jobs are gone. And I know people in our own community right now where their family members are in the hospital on ventilators and they don't know what's going to happen next. And 
to say that there's peace in the midst of that almost feels like salt in a wound. Like, you don't even understand what I'm walking through right now. And, and you're right, I don't. And, and you're right, that kind of peace is impossible in our human existence, in our human efforts. But it's possible in God. What's impossible in the natural is possible with the Holy Spirit. And I believe, even as I'm talking to a camera right now, I believe that Jesus can walk into your world and he can begin to speak shalom over you in such a way that regardless of what the circumstances look like, you will have peace of mind and peace of heart and it will be permanent and irrevocable. Even if things don't work out the way you want them to, there will be a peace on the inside. So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite you to invite the Holy Spirit, to invite that peace into your life. If you are far from God, this is a moment for you to, to say yes to him and invite him into your life and to experience that resurrection power, to experience that peace that's available in him. But I would be remiss if I did not make one more point out of this text because it doesn't just end with peace. There's a second component to this. See, after Jesus looked at his disciples and said, peace be with you, peace be with you, he made this statement. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, this peace, it's for a purpose. The peace is not just to help you feel a little bit better about the situation you're in right now. The peace is not the blanket you wrap around yourself on the couch while we're in quarantine and self-isolation and you know, make us feel a little bit better about the situation we're in right now. Sure, that is a component of it. There's comfort in the midst of it. But Jesus said, no, I'm not just stopping with giving you peace. I actually have an assignment for you. I want you to go. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? The Father sent Jesus so that Jesus could declare to a broken world that there was hope, that there was peace, that there was love, that there was salvation. The Father sent Jesus so that he could preach the good news of the kingdom to humanity. And Jesus understood that there were only a few disciples in his day that were actually going to see the physically resurrected Savior in bodily form. We didn't all get that luxury. We didn't all get to see the scars in his hand and the scars in his feet. That was not available to all of us. And so Jesus understood that our best chance at putting our faith in him and receiving the Holy Spirit was not to see the resurrected Christ, but to see resurrection power in resurrected lives of other believers who have experienced him and have invited the Holy Spirit into their lives and are now walking out this peace and this power that is only available in Jesus. And I pray that their stories would compel you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life so it can begin to make your story. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.